Okay, hi, and welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of campus ministry at John Carroll University. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty and staff as we try to figure out what it means to live out a faith that does justice. I'm Ann McGinnis, and I'm joined today by Father Bill Murphy, you might know him as Father William Murphy, a beloved priest to many students at John Carroll, where he served for two years. Just a brief introduction about Father um, Bill Murphy, in case you don't know him and are a first-year student listening. His hometown is East Lansing, Michigan. He did a degree in economics and management and then entered the Jesuits in 1997. He taught at St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati for a while before becoming president of St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland from 2009 to 2015. He is currently the vocation promoter for the Midwest Jesuits since 2015, and he had a stint in Australia, which I'm sure many students are looking forward to hearing about that. And he helped at John Carroll from 2015 to 2018, and now he's at Detroit Jesuit High School in Michigan. So thank you so much, Father Bill, for being here. How's it going? Oh, Anne, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's, it's great. It's great, great to be here and always great to to connect with uh, with John Carroll. Uh, well, we have certainly missed you um, during these times, and I know that when you left, there you know there was a big gap. We really there was times when we were like, "Oh, I wish Father Bill was here to talk to us about discernment." Or, you know, many times we said that. So I'm sure many of the the sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Um, We'll want to hear from you. Can you tell us a little bit about Australia? I've never been and always wanted to go. How was yeah. it? Oh, thanks, thanks. Well, so the, so I was um, so I was ordained in in two thousand eight, and um, Jesuits have this uh, kind of strange. Well, a lot of things about the Jesuits are strange. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> but um, they're slow learners, and and so for most um, most religious order priests they would become they would take final vows before they would get ordained um and of course we have to do things in an odd way so we get ordained and then we take final vows later um and so jesuit priests and brothers do a program um to prepare for final vows and it's usually sometime after ordination so for me it was almost it was more than 10 years um and so my program, I got assigned to go to Australia, and I was there for uh, about seven and a half, eight months. Um, and so we um, studied the Jesuit constitution, studied Jesuit history, uh, made the 30-day spiritual exercises, the silent retreat, um, and then had some some different work experiences. Um, I loved I loved Australia. I loved small town Australia. So one of my peak experiences was. Uh, um, I was sent to a little town called Kapunda, K-P-U-N-D-A. And, um, on the water or in the interior? No, it was in the interior. It was in South Australia. And it was, it's, um, it's in the wine country, actually. Um, and uh, it's um, uh, this town, 2,400 people, um, a nice little Catholic church, but the church was one of eight locations served by the one pastor of the parish so i got to be kind of mini pastor of this parish for one <laughs> month <laughs> in this nice. little town of 2400 people um and it was like great these folks were just so incredibly nice to me and um 
you know, I got to know families and it was just really, really cool. Um, That's awesome. It was like, um, it's kind of like being in the middle of Iowa with an Australian accent. Like everybody was just super, super <laughs> nice. Yeah, really nice. I love it. So you weren't just on the beach all day, I guess, you know. No, but really you know, they say, they, they say, we did go to the beach a lot. I was at the beach a lot. Um, the, uh, if you go to a different beach every day in Australia, it'd take you 27 years to hit them all. You're so kidding. That'd be a good challenge oh to, my gosh. to face up. Um, but, um, the beaches are unbelievable, and um, especially when you get just if you're outside of Melbourne or, or Sydney, there are no crowds. I mean, you might, you know, there'd be an amazing five miles of beach, and you might walk the whole thing and see one other person. Mm, it's wow. Just, it's really wow. Amazing. Did you have a beautiful setting for the 30 day retreat? We did. It was in, it was um, not far from Caponda where I did that. Um, that little pastoral month. Um, it was uh, um, also in the wine country that the Jesuits way back in the middle of the 19th century landed in Australia and started this vineyard. I think they were thinking they needed sacramental wine. Um, <laughs> and so this vineyard is still going. That's great. Um, 150 years later. Sounds um, beautiful. And uh, so, yeah, we made the retreat in the middle of this uh, vineyard, quite an isolated place but the stars at night were amazing oh amazing. i bet oh so it sounds you know, lovely pray some of the meditations and you know i think okay you know god made these stars and this is you know it's pretty cool it's really that's cool. awesome yeah. beautiful uh we always start the podcast by asking about your spiritual or religious upbringing can you share for some of our listeners today your sort of trajectory spiritual religious trajectory yeah sure um so my um my my parents um, were are, are Catholic. My um, um, I think my mom, you know, going going back a generation, um, my mom's my mom's uh, dad was a Catholic. My mom's mom wasn't a Catholic, and I think that must have been there must have been tension in the household. So my mom was a Catholic, and my dad was a Catholic, and I think one thing they agreed on is that like we're going to united front here. Like we're going to be a Catholic family. And so uh, I got four sisters. Um, so we absolutely went to mass every week. There was no question about that. Went to confession once a month. My dad would bring us to confessions. We went to, we called it CCD, continuing Catholic development. Now they would call it, um, we call it PSR. Sometimes they call it yeah. religion. Uh, but we definitely went to that all the way through high school. No, you know, no getting out of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, but we, I'd say, you know, we didn't, my mom, you know, God bless her. She passed a few years ago. She, she taught CCD, second grade CCD for like 36 straight years. Wow. And I was through like a number of moves and she had small kids. And so it was, it was a priority, but we didn't really talk about religion at home, which is, kind of interesting so there, there are like pieces of it that were um like a little bit maybe mechanical um and i think that may have been my my dad was 11 years older than my mom 
Um, and um, he was kind of a pre-Vatican II Catholic, and my mom was a Vatican II Catholic. So I don't know that they actually shared a common vocabulary around you know, <laughs> what we were doing. And, and both of those, I think, came to influence my vocation. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing. Was there a light bulb moment when you realized you were considering the priesthood? Um, you know, I think it's, a, it's for most people, and I think for me too, it was a thousand little steps. Um, there were definitely some key moments where like, I felt like God was nudging me forward. Um, a lot of those and I think this is, in my current work doing vocations, this is, is not uncommon. Um, like, oftentimes people go into discernment, and I certainly did, with this kind of thesis of, okay, I'm not called. I'm not being called to do this, but I'll go ahead and do this weekend retreat just so that <laughs> you can, you can, roll I can it get, out. This, get this straight, you know? Or, okay, and then it's like, it's still there and you just keep trying to disprove mm -hmm. it and it's still there. And then finally can come to the point where you say, you know, okay, God, you like, you win. I get it. I see this now. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, I think the application process for the Jesuits is really helpful because it helps guys to look backwards. And I can look back to second grade, fifth grade mm -hmm. and these moments, these things that happened to me that now like, Oh yeah, God was, really trying to tell me even then or plant some seeds even then even though I didn't start discerning until I was 25 so um yeah so it's it I think it you know God pushes us to come to a deeper understanding of ourselves and, and in that well, we we find our vocation rather than God coming from the outside and kind of tr imposing something on us Mm -hmm. That gave me goosebumps. I think we can all relate to one of those moments that we were resisting and resisting. <laughs> Talking it over with God, this can't be possible. <laughs> and there it is. And then, but then is. once we, you know, once we accept it, we, we find peace in it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I like that analogy of a thousand steps instead of one, one epiphany. Yeah, I think that's, that's, um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's pretty important because mm -hmm. uh, if we sit around waiting or if we wait for kind of a St. Paul moment, mm -hmm. they're just really rare. I mean, I, you hear that every once in a while, but it's just really rare. God, you know, as a, you know, as, as incarnate, you know, God works with us through time and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's all process. It's not like some kind of instant download that we can get and have it all figured out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to talk more with you about discernment later, but before we get into more questions on religion, I hear you're a golfer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends with Lindsay Malone and I was over at her house. Our kids were playing and she said, well, my husband's out golfing with, with father Bill. And I was like, Oh, it couldn't be Father Bill Murphy. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, there must be several Father Murphys out there, you know. And then we realized oh. it was you. Oh, so it, tell us. Tell us about your passion for golf. I hope it wasn't a weekday. I hope my boss doesn't find this, uh, this podcast online. Um, because I don't play golf during the week. <laughs> but, yeah, I, um, it's something that um, – you know, I started doing with my dad. I was probably about six years old. 
and he started bringing me to the driving range. And I think, you know, it, it's to be old enough to get out on a golf course, I think you got to be about like nine or 10. And so we started playing, you know, we started playing golf, really playing when I was, when I was nine, we'd, you know, go out for nine holes after work. And it was just kind of a father and something. I didn't really have friends that played golf until I got, um, you know, more into middle school. And then, um, yeah, we, uh, I was, you know, real lucky, um, growing up in East Lansing, we had access to the university facility. So for five bucks, you know, we could play nine holes and mom would drop us off. Oh, that's awesome. So I got to play a lot of, um, you know, golf during the summers and it's turned out to be a real, uh, you know, a good lifelong game. Um, and, uh, it's not about, you know, people say, Oh, you're a priest and you play golf. You know, it must be about this kind of, um, like peaceful Zen and connection. Or, <laughs> no, for me, golf is about winning, you know, <laughs> it's about, it's about winning. And I, you know, the, for me, the best rounds are, you know, with Dan Malone or, or, you know, other, other guys or gals, you know, the handicaps allow people, uh, um, you know, unequal ability to play a fair match together. And so you play a match. And so those matches where everybody's playing pretty well and you get down to the last few holes and if it's, you know, if it's tough and, you know, you might be playing for a dollar, you know, I mean, it's like really high stakes, but the meaning of that is, is pretty huge. And you might go the last five holes without really talking to each other. Cause you're just like, sure. trying to be each other. in the zone, trying and to win. So, but it is so great, you know, to get, to get beaten by your friend on the last hole or to beat your friend on the last hole, either way, it's like, it's one of the best days you can have. It's really great. People might be expecting mercy from the Jesuit, but no mercy on no, the golf course. No, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no mercy. No. Oh, that's great. Well, the title of the podcast is A Faith That Does Justice. And we were wondering if you could share what that means to you. Obviously, you come from within the Jesuit tradition. And maybe a little bit about how you strive to live that out on a daily basis. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question. Um, and I think it really starts with... Um, Ignatius Loyola and his definition of the human person, um, which is in, embedded in what's called the principle and foundation, which is at the very, it's, um, it's kind of step one or almost step zero of um, Ignatius's spiritual theory that's embedded in the spiritual exercises, which is a retreat um, that is um, used not only by the Jesuits, but, but by, by many people. And in, in the principle and foundation, Ignatius says that the human person is created to praise, reverence, and serve God. Like that's the, that's the, the you know, the definition. And that's the, you know, at, at the same time, you know, that's the, the itch that we're all trying to scratch. And we, we try to scratch it in like lots of different ways, you know, like um, it, everything from, um, you know, thing, things that are good for us or things that are bad for us. Right. A lot of times we're, we're trying to scratch the itch of, of um, you know, this desire for God to praise, reverence, and serve God. And then, like, desires that, that are close to that desire, like the desire for community, the desire to be loved, the desire right. to love, the desire to be known and understood, the desire for meaningful work, like all those are, are mm -hmm. around it. But it starts with that. 
really that definition of, of the human person. And then I always think of, of in terms of the faith that does justice, um, of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples at, at the Last Supper. Mm. And he, he washes their feet, and then he, he turns to them and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? So, and he's saying, look, I am the son of God. And I just did this thing for you that only slaves do. And then he says, go and do likewise. So, so, you know, in terms of the, you know, the faith that does justice, we've got the me part, this, you know, how am I built my inner architecture, you know, my, inner desire to praise, reverence, and serve God. And then you've got Jesus sending us out and saying, okay, but this isn't about you. This is about, you know, everybody else. And then, so then we look at the world and, um, you know, what, what an interesting moment in history we live in now, right? Mm -hmm. tick, tick them off, you know, systemic racism, hunger, human trafficking, mm -hmm. global warming, refugees, mm -hmm. Political turmoil, like it's throwing mm -hmm. your favorites. I'm missing 50 of them, you know. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then we just say, you know, all right, how do I, how do I plug in? All right, right, Jesus, I'm, you know, praise, reverence, and serve. Okay, so, so how do I, how do I serve? And I think that's for, for the students you, you work with, you know, as you know, the, the young adults you know, that's a million dollar question. Because, exactly. Because that's, that's a question of what am I going to do? You know, what does God want me to do with my life? Exactly. What am I going to do with my life? So, and that, you know, and that's what I think the, you know, you and your colleagues there in Campus Mystery are so good at. Oh, thank helping, you. Helping young people really sift through that question. Because it's not like um, multiple choice answer that question in 30 seconds right you know it's it's tough it's if you're going to really answer it it's tough it's tough mm -hmm. thank you thank you for those thoughts that's really helpful i feel almost that there's just too much going on in the news i mean you have the whole covid thing and um just so much with black lives matter and the political scene right now it's almost overwhelming for students to think well, what do I plug into all of these or which one, or if I'm ignoring one, you know, is that bad? And it, it's a lot. There's, there's this, um, there's some interesting research out there and I can't, I can't footnote it off the top of my head, but if you give, um, you know, if, if you give somebody 50 choices, you know, of mm -hmm. a flavor of something, and you say you choose any of these fifty or, or or nothing. It, they're much more likely to choose nothing than if you just give them three choices. Really, yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah, because we get overwhelmed. We, we do overwhelmed and frozen by options. And I think you know. I wonder in this in this time if you know just the array of things that need to be done in justice is is um, kind of a, uh, like the evil spirit uses that against us and says, hey, there's so many, uh, you, you need to do all of them. And then, mm. well, holy cow, like, I mean, how, how many, mm -hmm. how, how many, I mean, I've, 
I've got a job, I've got to go to school, I've got exactly. I mean, these things kind of, and it, so it's just like, well, I'm just gonna opt out. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna do any of them. Where the good spirit is like, no, no, no. Like, you, you know, God's saying, I don't expect you to take care of all of them. You know, one or maybe two, just plug in and go deep mm-hmm. and, and see how it goes. And so the, you know, but that, I think the evil spirit kind of uses that, um, just the whole, just that variety against us sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And, you know, the analogy of choosing 50, you know, one ice cream flavor out of 50 versus one out of three, you know, I think that that, that is really helpful to students because they're presented with just so much. And also they think, well, for my whole life, I have to choose just one of these 50 and stick with it for my whole life, you know. And if you think of just three choices for now, just for this small period of time. You know, and maybe later you think about five or you go a different way, but it's like just some small chunk that you can bite off. I, I love, I love the little um, three inch spoons at the ice cream store, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where they say a little sample. Yeah. You want to try it? Then like, go ahead and try it. That's mm-hmm. okay. And, and I think there, we don't, we don't um, talk enough about the power of, of experimentation. Cause mm-hmm. when, I, when I say, when I say, Hey, I'm going to, uh, if I say, um, if I, let's say, I think I want to go to medical school, you know, mm-hmm. and I say, Hey, I'm going to take organic chemistry cause I want to go to medical school. And I announce it to my friends. I want to go to medical school. I'm taking organic chemistry. Right. And it turns out, I'm really crummy at organic chemistry. That's what weeded me out of med school, Father <laughs> Bill. <laughs> Second semester organic, I just didn't manipulate any more molecules. And, and so, like, how embarrassing is that, right? Right. I've told been everybody. That. I've told everybody I'm going to med school. Yeah. And so, but I remember we, my uncle, who was a doctor, he said, "Well, why'd you give up?" And I'm like. I realize that my passions and interests lie elsewhere. But. Lie elsewhere, and so it, if you if you if approach hard. that same process in a different way, exactly, and you say, you know, I think maybe I want to go to med school, but I'm also interested. I know that organic organic chemistry is necessary for that, and I'm kind of interested in that. So as an experiment, I'm going to take organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, you know, I get my gentleman C plus. I figure out it's not for me. Okay, it's an experiment. It was successful. It's it's not it's successful because now I know what I don't want to do, and that's, that's really successful. helpful. And, and, and I think that's true in dating too. That mm-hmm. people say, ah, you know, I spent two years in this relationship and it failed. What a waste of time. I say no. That's a massive success now you know now you know what you don't want and who you aren't supposed to be with and that is an that's incredibly powerful lesson as as you know you move on to other options so i love the word experiment in especially for well i mean for anybody i mean i think of you know people folks in their in their 20s as they're looking at their lives but we we use it at in our work, in our team, all the time to give ourselves the freedom to fail. We say, you know, hey, we're starting this new, 
well, we're starting this new podcast and it'll say it's an experiment yeah exactly so, so that, so that we don't we don't set these expectations like well if you know if we're not number one on the catholic podcast list well then that's just really terrible no we're just going to see what happens exactly and enjoy and enjoy the ride enjoy the conversations along the way you know yeah yeah for sure that's a great way to think of it thank you so i know you made a lasting impression on students at john carroll and i know saint ignatius students as well when you were president there largely through your ability to connect with people so what does ministry mean to you and how does sort of personal connection figure figure into that equation um last last two weeks ago we were talking to john scarano and asked him a really similar question because i think that people who are so good at ministry just have this natural gift to connect and people feel like they can take their armor off they can take their disguise off in front you know in front of you yeah yeah thanks thanks for the question thank you you're very kind to to characterize me that way um you know, I because I don't th- I don't think of myself that way. Um, I am I'm the farthest thing from a natural. Really? really? Yeah, it, I am so introverted. Um, I'm very happy in my office at my desk, staring at spreadsheets. Like I am, <laughs> <laughs> like, I am really I'm really ha- I'm really happy with that. And and um, and I'm um, and you know, being, giving a homily, being in front of strangers, um, that's like, that's frightening for me. Like, that's not natural. And it is, it's, it is natural for some people. It's definitely not for me. And so if people will notice if you are with me long enough, you'll see times when you'll be like, okay, he's nervous. You know? mm-hmm. um, it, but I, what I think people really want is for the people in ministry to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm li- I'm limited. I've got I've got real limits as a human being, but I'm here for you. Huh. I'm here for you. And you know, a couple of you know examples of that. You know, one is when I was, uh, uh, you know, first ordained a priest. I think." you know, new priests, you want to give people a good experience of liturgy. And that means kind of like doing it right. Like they shouldn't have to watch you fumble around. Mm-hmm. And so I'm giving, giving, um, as, as I had mass at this, you know, quite a big parish and I'm sure I was a little nervous and the, um, there are two kinds or there are maybe three publishers of what we now call the Roman Missal, we used to call the Sacramentary, which is the big book that sits on the altar during Mass, and it's got all the ribbons, and there's a lot of flipping around. It's like 1,500 pages. There are a couple of different publishers, and each one of them set, has their tabs on the edges, and each one of them sets the tabs in a slightly different way. So I'm in this big parish. I'm saying this Mass, and we I'm doing fine. We're rolling along, and... Um, you know, we get to the beginning of the communion rite and the Our Father. And I, I can't find the page. Anne. Oh, no. I can't find the page. And so I'm flipping around. And it, in the end, it had to do with, like, one publisher, you grab the tab and you keep 
the tab on the right, and that's where the page where it starts. And another one, you grab the tab and you turn the page and the tab oh. left. So I was like a page off. I was like one flip off, but I could oh, not find it. And I, as I'm nervous, you know, just right. stuff just stops working, right? I mean, I'm just I'm flustered. And so I'm flipping around for, you know, we're just trying to start the community array, flipping around for maybe 20 or 25 seconds. And it's, it felt like two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I'm so embarrassed and, and you know, I don't have any hair on my head, so I'm sure my scalp is red. Aww. Everything is, is red. And instead, I just said, Hey, um, I just can't find the page, but we're just going to say to our father here. And they, they, they laughed, you know, and we said to our father. And then what I really needed was that little prayer in the middle of the, the Catholics put in the middle of the, our father, um, that, uh, you know, deliver us Lord from every evil, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we, you know, then the congregation finishes off for the kingdom, the power, the glory of the earth. So I didn't have that. And of course I couldn't remember it because I'm just totally flustered. So, so we just kind of walked through it. And then I said, okay, offer each other a sign of peace. And they, they did it. And so we, you know, I got through it. And at the end of mass, I'm like, oh God, I've got to stand here at this door and I've got, you know, greet people as they come out. And I'm just like, I'm ready to say, I'm so sorry. Like that was just so, oh. you know, I, I want to be better. And I have never received a bigger outpouring of affection. I was going to say. Yeah. And that, that was an important lesson for me as, as a priest, as a minister, like they didn't care that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. They knew that. That was, that's obvious to them. Right. They mm -hmm. knew, knew that already. What, what they wanted was, you know, my humanity and, and saying, Hey, you know what? I'm limited, but I'm here for you. Um, and, awesome. and, and, and I think, you know, that covers a, a, a lot of things, especially those times in ministry where you don't know what to say, or there's, mm -hmm. no, there's nothing to say, mm -hmm. you know, something terrible happens and somebody falls into your arms weeping. Mm -hmm. And you, it's just like, and that's enough for them to say, I'm here, I'm for, here you. for you. Just enough for them. It's not, people don't want, you know, I think in my earlier, you know, before I learned a few of these lessons, I thought, well, people want somebody who knows, the, is pretty slick and knows the right thing to say all the time. And I don't think people want that. I think people can kind of see through that, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so I think, you know, for me, it's, it, ministry is very much in my, like, happens in my own awkwardness, you know? <laughs> It's that's just because it's not it's not natural. It's that's not easy. And I think that's true for for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, but Father Bill, for sharing that. I love that. I'm here for you. Yeah. Sometimes there's this tendency to to just listen and, and, and hear what people are saying and try to sort of offer back what they're saying back to themselves. But sometimes it's just too painful. You don't even wanna sort of reiterate their words back to them. So just, I'm here for you is, is really great advice for really, really hard times, you know? Thank you so much. No, you're welcome, you're welcome. We've touched on discernment already um, on this podcast. You gave a talk to the Carroll Faith Communities, which I worked closely with a few years ago. And I still have my notes from your talk in, in my journal, it was really helpful. 
And I was just wondering, we can't do the whole presentation today, obviously, but what could you tell our listeners about discernment? Are there any key points you'd want them to take away, especially since our listeners are mostly college students who have big decisions to make in their lives? Um, and, and I really think this Ignatian discernment is so helpful at this time. I, I think, I think I, I'd say, say a couple things. And thank, thanks for the question, Anne. Um, you know, one is, is that, you know, as we touched on before, this figuring it all out is going to take place over time. And um, there's, no, there's no pill down at CVS. There's no magic <laughs> button. There's no golden gem of advice. There's no, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just way more multivalent than that. And I, when I work with guys who are thinking about becoming Jesuit brothers and priests, um, you know, oftentimes they like, um, they enter into it and, and very earnestly and really want this to be it because they're tired of searching, huh. you know? And I think in, if we're, huh. we really start searching, we get tired of it pretty quickly because it's exhausting. Yes. It's just it's to not know, to not have any understanding of where I'm supposed to be is an exhausting experience. Yes. So we look for the, and all of us do this in lots of ways. We look for the magic bullet. We look for the silver bullet, like that one thing that's going to just solve all my problems. Right. And it's like my experience is, uh, I don't think that exists. You know, that we, we've got to do some, some flailing around like we've got to do some experimentation we've got to that this it's a it's a process that that we really have to um you know have to engage and sometimes you know over a, a really long period of time mm -hmm. um somehow somehow and uh you know where where my parents generation were like yeah, you need like you need to get it figured out eventually. Like that was their attitude, um, and it and don't come home. It's okay if you flail around, you know. <laughs> and for some reason, like that got flip flopped. You know that mm -hmm. you know now it's well, don't leave home. We don't want you to leave home, mm -hmm. but you need to have it figured out right now. And it's like. And so it's almost like experimentation has, has been, you know, the ability to experiment has been decreased while the expectations of having it all together are, are increased. That's um, very true. And, and really I think, insightful. Um, so yeah, just to, to, you know, there's no silver bullet and, you know, experimentation. And then, um, you know, I think knowing our, the third thing I'd say is knowing ourselves and we, I think there's this myth or what something, I, maybe I won't call it a myth. It's something I disagree with out there in the Christian world at times that says that there's, you know, there's my will and there's God's will and that those are really two very different things. Huh. And that, you know, in the, especially in the Catholic calculus of, you know, for um, you know, getting points toward heaven, that the further <laughs> apart those two things are, that the, if I choose the God thing, 
the more merit I have. So the more radically against my own will I act, the more merit that that action has. And Ignatius Loyola would say, no, at, at your core, you're created to praise, reverence, and serve God. That's what you're built for. And that's the itch you're trying to scratch. And so what God wants from you and what you want for yourself at the core are identical. Awesome. Identical. And how, like, awesome. how liberating is that to say, okay, so this outside thing that's coming from God and this inside thing that's coming from me, I have to figure out where they meet because they're actually the same thing that God planted in mm-hmm. my heart as God knit me, you know, in my mother's womb. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, and I think, so it's, you know, self-knowledge and knowledge of God's will for me are, are really closely connected. The better we know ourselves, the better we can figure out you know, what it is God put in us that needs to come out again. Wonderful. Well, I think we probably have time for one final question and then anything else you want to add. I forgot to ask you what you wanted to talk about. Um, the final question I had for you was about your work um, with discernment in your professional life. So you've worked with new Jesuits discerning a vocation and priest in the priesthood since 2015. And I was just wondering, you know, what advice do you typically give them um, when, when people approach you about this? It's, it's this, it's the same sort of thing. <laughs> you're getting my, you're getting my lunch hour speech, <laughs> lunch table speech. Um, there's a, um, yeah, the, I think, um, so I've got, I've got a friend who, um, is still a close friend. And some years ago, his little brother came up to me at a wedding reception and said, um, Hey, um, you know, Murph, um, I'm totally on fire. I want to join the Jesuits. Mm. And I'm like, ah, it's great. You know, have you met any? And he's, he's like, no, you're the only one I know, but I've read everything. And I know I want to be a Jesuit. Like, okay. So, and he was in another city. So I, I knew some guys in that city. I had some Jesuit buddies. So I set him up for a weekend. Like, why don't you go visit these guys and hang out with them and then tell me what you think and we'll go from there. He says, fine. So the weekend comes and goes. I set it up. The weekend comes and goes. And I call my Jesuit buddies. I'm like, hey, you know, how is this guy? He's great, isn't he? He's from my hometown. He's, you know, great family. And they're like, we don't know. I said, what do you, what do you mean? They said, we didn't show. Oh, that's weird. It's just, that's kind of mm. up. So then six weeks later, I'm talking to his older brother, my good buddy, and I, and I um, he's like, oh, 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 I forgot to tell you. And we were probably talking about, you know, football or something. And he said, uh, you know, my little brother, he got engaged. I'm like, <laughs> what? like six weeks later, I'm like, he got engaged. I'm like six weeks ago, you know, he was going to be a Jesuit brother or a Jesuit priest, and um, like, how does that even work? And so I didn't, you know, I didn't say anything to, to my friend. Um, well, what happened was like four months later, they got unengaged. And then four years later, he married somebody else and they've got like 10 children now and they're totally happy. But, you know, when we're in this, the, when we're in this discernment process, the uncertainty is so uncomfortable for mm-hmm. It's so, so uncomfortable. And, you know, in this era of modern communications, it's like, 
you know, Jesus, let's have a, a Skype call or send me a text message or just you know, <laughs> instant message me or send me a fax. Like, I don't care. Just give me the outline, you know, right. and, and I'll do it. But it, you know, it, it takes us some time to figure out. And that's frustrating. I think what, what my friend's little brother did, and I think what a lot of us do sometimes is what's tempting is like, I got to get off this merry go round. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to get out of this uncertainty. I just so need he, to commit to something. He found, he found this gal and he's like, I know how to get off you. Let's get married. And then mm-hmm. boom, it ends the decision. But, but it doesn't, right? It doesn't, mm-hmm. jumping out early, it doesn't solve, solve the problem. And right. a lot of times it creates more problems. So just like, just stay in it, you know, and pay attention to Ann McGinnis and your spiritual guides who, who can shepherd you on through. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Father Bill. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? I didn't, I didn't ask you that question, if there's I, anything. I just ask you, you know, what's, what's the most satisfying thing for you in ministry? What do you like, what do you like the best about what you do at, at John Carroll with the students and with your colleagues? And what, what gets you revved up to go to work every day? It's interesting you ask that because I just mentioned it to my husband last night because I feel in this digital world, it's missing. And it's really that connection, you know, sort of the, the goosebumps you get and that adrenaline rush when you're like in a big group of people who are all fired up about a justice issue. And I was just saying to my husband, I'm like, it feels almost like it's not you know, ministry sometimes isn't happening because it's so hard to read the crowd over Zoom, where when you're in person, you know, and we're having an immersion meeting and there's over 100 people in a room and you're talking about something you're passionate about and you're getting at least like 30 or 40 or 50 nods from people in the room and you're like, oh my gosh, this is resonating with you, you know, and you feel inspired to be connected on a mission, you know, toward living out a faith that does justice and connecting in community, you know, connecting through prayer. Um, it, it just like, it gives me goosebumps to talk about it now because I just have such fond memories from it in campus ministry. And, and I'm really struggling in this digital age to like, to feel that again at that deep level. I, I, I think you're, I, I completely understand. And, and it's one of the insidious things about the pandemic, e- even when we're out there in the world and we've got our, our um, you know, face masks on and mm-hmm. just trying to, uh, you know, how do you smile at the cashier at Target? Right, right. You know, how do you, and um, yeah, it's, it's um, I, I I got on a plane the other day and, and um, the uh, flight attendant um, who's probably um, about my age, much older than you. Um, she, uh, you know, she greeted me. I, she said, how you doing? I said, I'm, I'm doing great. I said, I'm smiling. And she said, of course, you know, she's wearing a face mask. She said, I am too. She said, uh, good thing I've got crow's feet, you know. <laughs> Around your eyes, right? <laughs> Around her eyes, yeah. <laughs> That's but, great. Uh, you know, at least it's like some, some, some indication. indication. You know, <laughs> I'll have yeah, to use pretty, that one. Pretty, pretty funny. That's so, good. Uh, yeah, but it's, I think that's a really, you know, insidious thing about this, you know, pandemic mm-hmm. is that it, it's, um, it, you know, mutes the connection right. between people in, in lots and lots and lots of right. things. And, and the computer is a substitute, but 
but not a great one. And so much of ministry happens just in the hallway. Students stop by and they said, oh, I'm going to talk to you about something real quick. And then you get into another subject, you know, where that's a real subject that's yeah. on their hearts, you yeah. know, and it just doesn't happen in Zoom when you need to sort of make an appointment and set a time. And um, yeah. so, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we'll, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> pull through this and yeah. Sure. And I am a huge podcast fan. So I do have to say during the pandemic, I've listened to more podcasts than I have in my entire life. Okay, good. So we're sort of hoping that maybe this could be somewhat of a substitute during yeah, these times. Yeah. Well, you do such great work and I, I've got oh, such thank fond, you. fond memories of, of Carol and still connected with some of the, some of the students who, who were there when, when I was there on campus and Aww. just, um, you know, that um, there's always this core group of, I, we, in the Jesuits, we call it friends in the Lord mm -hmm. who, who are, you know, really involved in leading retreats and, and who are all really great. You can just tell they're lifelong friends already. Uh, just from from a few semesters at, at Carroll. That's awesome. It's I think a really special thing that uh, that you and your colleagues there in, in University Heights do. Uh, Thank you, Father Something Bill. I miss about the place a lot. Yeah. Well, we miss seeing you at the summer concerts. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. And I mean, we think about you all the time. Uh, Father Murphy baptized my twins, Sebastian and Eve. So, you know, you definitely hold a special place in our, our family history. Oh, it's, a, it's just an honor to, to be connected. Aww. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Faith That Does Justice podcast. Um, stay well and tune in next week. Thanks so much for joining.